It is your home for the wild, the wacky, the weird, and just the downright unfortunate in the sports world. This is Out of Bounds, episode number 10. No, that is not me, O'Brien. That is Jordan Katz. I am John Alba. What is going on, guys? It is time for another edition of Out of Bounds right here on Know Your News. You met Jordan a few weeks ago here. Amia is on assignment tonight. Jordan, thanks for hopping on. How you doing tonight? Absolutely. Thanks for having me again, John. Appreciate it. Looking forward to we boy, we had a uh we absolutely had the good, the bad, and the ugly this weekend. So I'm looking forward to getting into it. And I am as well. We encourage you all who are tuning in to check us out here on YouTube. Of course, if you'd like to interact with us, you can do so by leaving a super chat on YouTube or going to kynchat.com. Leave a know your news chat. And we will read your chat on air. We love some interaction here on the Know Your News Network and Out of Bounds. And this was a super newsworthy week. As we do every week, Jordan, we begin with an opening toast. In your honor, I'll pull my little JMO here. Uh, what are we what are we toasting to? Give us give us a little something something this week. You know, it's the holiday season. It's it's the season of giving. Uh, so I am going to toast um, to the uh, New York teams finding a way to give their fans some hope and some life and eventually a championship. So oh. that's my toast. It's a very secular toast for a very specific audience, but you know what? Whatever. New York runs the world. Sorry, that's not right. sorry. Cheers to that. Mm. <laughs> There was a little, you know, there was a little bit of anger behind that too, just because of the way Zach Wilson played. And yeah, I won and that the frustration. Bet. Uh, yeah, you did win the bet. And, yeah, Mia, um, Mia, Mia skimmed off this week because she lost her weekly wager. Yeah, I said so. Zach Wilson was going to play this week, and he did. And Are you sure? I'm well, not so sure. I mean, his physical being was on the field. I'll give you that. <laughs> whether whether he actually played or not is a whole nother answer but we can talk about something that was played potentially the greatest game ever played and that was the world cup final between argentina and france france could not defend the world cup title uh this was one of the most outstanding championship matches in any sport that you will ever see so many storylines we saw two goals from the goat lionel messi a killian mbappe a hat trick And this was decided after two goals in extra time. And eventually we got PKs that saw Argentina come out on top to win the World Cup in what is considered to be an upset by many. Messi gets his first World Cup win, uh, cementing himself in that pedestal of just all-time great athletes ever to exist. Jordan, I know that there is often recency bias when we talk about stuff like this. Sure. But was this the greatest game ever played? Let me offer up a second toast here. Because (laughs) first off, this World Cup was phenomenal start to finish. In terms of the on-field. On the field. (laughs) On the field. There's quite a juxtaposition between. On the field. (laughs) On the field. On the field, it was one of the greatest World Cups I've ever seen in my life, maybe the greatest. And that game, when you take into account the fact that it is the world's sport, 
and you take into account what it meant for the legacy of one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player to ever play the game. And you take into account the fact that the stars show up in the brightest moments with him and Mbappe. It, if you want to argue that's the greatest game you've ever seen in your lifetime, John, I have no problem arguing that. I, I Maybe for me personally, I would take uh, the 2016 Game 7 of the World Series just because the Cubs in the streak. Um, but again, this is the world sport. And the world's sport takes precedent, in my opinion, maybe over a baseball. So if you want to argue that, John, I think you could. What is remarkable to me is that when you have a match of this magnitude for a sport that particularly in the United States is not nearly as popular as it is elsewhere, and you capture the imagination of what can be leading into the match where people are like, yeah, this should be a pretty good game. And then every single expectation you have for a great championship game on that stage where you have hundreds of millions of people watching this game, and and that's how many people were watching this game across the globe. And they match those expectations. And not only do they match those expectations, but as you said, the the stars show up. Lionel Messi, again, this is the ultimate test of your legacy. If you are truly Mm -hmm. the greatest to ever do it, you show up in a game like this, and he scores two goals, and then also scores in PKs. Yep, He puts the team on his back. Mbappe being the one, the two goals in extra time, okay? Argentina breaks through on this almost a fluke goal, if you will. Then right on the other side, France is able to make this incredible LeBron game seven against the Warriors-esque block that leads into them eventually getting a PK opportunity of their own that they convert forcing us to overall PKs. Uh, It was unbelievable sports theater. And when sports become a theatrical event, something that everyone feels with and becomes part of, man, there's nothing better. Jordan, I got no vested interest in soccer. I've got no vested interest in either of these teams. I could not look away. Agreed. Totally agree. The other thing about the stars showing up in the big moments is the thing that we're always looking for. And to use a parallel to this offseason and the reason that certain Yankee fans or maybe certain Giant fans or certain Dodger fans had an issue with paying Aaron Judge is the big moment so far. Aaron Judge has not necessarily shown up for yet. Kylian Mbappe was invisible, invisible for 79 minutes. Now, a large portion of that is because Argentina did a wonderful job of marking him. But he was invisible for 79 minutes. And then, bing, bang, boom, he's got two goals. The game is tied. And you blinked. Within a minute of each other. You blinked. You blinked and he had two goals. I mean, this dude is a bona fide superstar. When you take into account the storylines of this matchup, you talk about sports theater. We've got Argentina trying to win a World Cup. We've got, which is its own, that's its own storyline. If, if you are not from, if you are not from the soccer parts, that is its own storyline in and of itself. We've got Lionel Messi trying to some, you know, cement his GOAT status. Uh, but we've got France going for a back-to-back world. That is unheard of good. The Spanish team that goes Euro, World, Euro didn't pull off that second world. I, that is unheard of dominance. And the storylines combined with the fact that the game lives up to the hype and then some, 
it's definitely going to be talked about for years to come as maybe the greatest sporting event that's ever happened. Uh, and uh, It absolutely is. And again, recency bias is fair. You will say to yourself, oh, man, there's been some other great finals. Remember France and Italy was Zinedine Zidane, of course. Mm-hmm. But I think it's one of those situations where you try to step back. And you say, in 20 years, will we be saying to ourselves, man, I remember where I was when I was watching this insane game. And if you can say with a straight, honest face to yourself, yeah, I'm, I'm going to remember that drama, then hell yeah. And, and I do think what enhances that, too, is when we have social media now where people go to Twitter and it becomes this shared viewing experience where everyone in real time is taking this event in and discussing it. That enhances that experience. That enhances how more memorable it's going to be. I, again, I've covered MLS. I I like soccer. It's nowhere near the top for me. But I, I can't think of any other sporting event that I've ever watched, genuinely, wholeheartedly saying this, I can't think of any other sporting event that I've ever watched that I had absolutely zero vested interest in and generally speaking could not care less that I was totally, completely enthralled for for two and a half hours. There are three games to me that that, that rank up there, not necessarily in terms of the zero invested interest, but that I look at and I'm like, these are the three. The first of which is that 2016 Game 7 I that agree. I talked about, I that no game. doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, on a personal level, the national championship between Villanova and North Carolina, which has the buzzer beater for Chris Jenkins. And before that, Marcus Page hits a double pump three. That was an unbelievable game and an unbelievable ending. And then there's this one. I know people are going to put the Super Bowl in there with, with the Brady comeback, and that's fine. Um but I, this is just this was a a world class game, world class finish, and it's ex- everything that you're looking for. Um, when, when when the finish of the game is ex- is exquisite, it makes that sports theater even more compelling. And when you talk about great finishes, what a great finish we got to the comeback between the Minnesota Vikings and the Indianapolis Colts. The Indianapolis Colts had this game won. No doubt about it. The Indianapolis Colts had this game won. They were up 33-0. to And Minnesota slowly clawed their way back. And Indianapolis slowly did the things that Matt Ryan teams have been known to do, which is quick collapse. three and outs, <laughs> not getting stops, collapse, be, not be getting bad. first downs. <laughs> Put anything you want in there, and not they found a way to do it. And in the last seconds, Minnesota kicks a game-winning field goal in overtime. Uh, in that overtime period, I really was concerned that Minnesota was playing for a tie because that did not do them any good, but they find a way to win completing the greatest regular season comeback in NFL history. John, my question to you is the bigger takeaway here, the Vikings resilience or the Colts collapse. And I'm actually going to go one further and talk about Matt Ryan's legacy is the greater story here. The Vikings resilience or Matt Ryan again? Uh, No, I I don't blame Matt Ryan solely for this. I mean, that was, I, I, it has been clear on this show over the last couple months, we do not shy away from clowning the Colts. And that is exactly what happened. Again, 
you reap what you sow. When you bring in a coach that has zero experience and you thrust them in to the middle of a regular season around a team that they don't know at that intimate level, what do you expect to happen? Jeff Saturday fluked into a couple wins early on here, Mm -hmm. especially that first win against the Raiders. Sure. This is what happens when an inexperienced coach goes against teams that A, are well-coached, and B, Good, which the Minnesota Vikings are a good football team. They are a team that could win the Super Bowl this year. It's not implausible. Yep. I think that the Colts right now are an embarrassment to the league. I really do believe that. They're not the worst team in the league, but with how they have operated, they are showing themselves to be a laughingstock. It is a textbook 101 how not to run a football team for dummies. That's what the Indianapolis Colts are. And yeah. I don't take anything away from the Vikings comeback. It was a sight to behold. Kirk Cousins is having a great season. The Vikings are a really good football team. But this to me is more reflect- reflective of a roster that is poorly built, a team that is poorly coached, and a franchise that is extremely poorly run. As usual, when we disagree, I'm right and you're wrong, and here's why. Um, That was a joke, and John's usually right. But that's okay. That's okay. I'm right on this one. I'm right on this one. Trust me. Here's why. I'm going to explain why. Minnesota, throughout the last few years under Mike Zimmer, struggled in one-score games, struggled massively in one-score games. Minnesota under Kevin O'Connell is 11-3 and with a point differential of two for the whole year. They find themselves in one-score games, and unlike years past, they find themselves winning one-score games. And when you can win one-score games with the kind of offense that they have, that means your defense does enough to get the job done. That's how you win Super Bowls in the 21st century. You win Super Bowls with an offense that can move the football, a quarterback who can make the big throw when they have to make it, more importantly, a team that can run the football when they have to be able to run it. Because that's actually how you win the playoffs. If you look at the big comebacks that, you know, with the big postseason comebacks or big postseason wins in general, teams are effectively running the football. If you can't run the football, you can't sustain a lead. Not only can they do all that, they can get the timely stop defensively and the timely spots. Jordan, I'm not taking anything away from the Vikings at all. The Vikings are a great football team. I've said it twice already. They are a great football team sure. that can win a Super Bowl. This is more of a damning indictment on what the Indianapolis Colts are doing. It is a conscious effort. Keep that in mind. I want to clearly state for the record, and we'll probably talk about something similar when we get into the baseball conversation on this show here. Mm -hmm. Franchises don't need to be run poorly. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to introduce a coach to coach a team with no coaching experience. You do not have to trade your entire ship for an aging quarterback. You do not have to do these things. You are consciously choosing to do these things. Why are you consciously choosing to do these things? Because, A, it's buying you time, and, B, it's easy. What's the worst thing that can happen if we hire Jeff Saturday midseason despite not having any coaching experience? Oh, I don't know. You suffer the worst collapse in NFL history? 
That's like one of those, ha LOL, that could happen. Well, it did happen. Yep, it sure did. It and it's sure not did. surprising. I, you take a bad football team that is poorly run and you throw them against a good football team that currently is being very well coached. This is what happens. Let's not say this is the most shocking comeback ever because it's not shocking. No, a lot of people saw it coming. A lot of people saw it coming. There were a lot of like, I'm looking at Twitter. There's a lot of like, guess who took, you know, Vikings money line at 33 to seven or whatever. And like a lot of people were like, you know, Minnesota's probably going to come back and win this game. So from that perspective, you're hundred percent right. Like yeah. this did I'm not surprise saying, a lot of people. I'm just saying these are who the Colts are. This is who they will be until there are institutional changes. And when the moratorium is written, on this insane decision that they made midseason to institute these changes, uh, it will reflect very poorly on them, extremely poorly. Speaking of things that uh, were expected, here's something that wasn't. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Talking about ineptitude here. Woo! So this was a tie game. Let's take you to the fourth quarter. It's a tie game. Clock's about to expire between the New England Patriots and the Las Vegas Raiders. Ramondre Stevenson's decision to lateral the ball to a teammate on the final play was a surprisingly positive game, and then it turned into complete chaos. Jacoby Myers got the ball, received the lateral, then backtracked in search of a new target. He saw one in Mac Jones near midfield, the quarterback of the New England Patriots. What he didn't see was former New England Patriot Chandler Jones, who stepped right in, snagged that ball, and, well, rambled 48 yards to the house for a game-winning touchdown. Now, this is ineptitude that we typically would expect of a team like, say, the Colts. But instead, this is the mighty, mighty New England Patriots. They lose this game. Now their playoff hopes are teetering. And Meyer said after the game, Jordan, he messed up. He should have been smarter. It was a tie game. They would have gone to overtime. They didn't need to lateral. They were not playing from behind. But let's be real. This is, for anyone who's not a New England Patriots fan, this is just chef's kiss. So I ask Absolutely. you, how will New England fans ever survive this blunder? Oh, my goodness. How will the most successful franchise of the 21st century ever survive a loss in December of a year, they're not going to win the Super Bowl. Scott Zolak on the, on the Patriots radio call no good. quite literally said, uh, did you hear this? No, I did not. He, on the call, after it happens, he says, how dumb is this team? <laughs> I mean, listen, first off, I don't the know Patriots who's... for one night only, Jordan Katz, were the I New don't... York Jets. That's true. That's true. They were. I don't know how... This is going to be written. Um, that's 100% a coaching decision. This is so, an all-time bad play. I, I need to make that play. clear. It is an all-time bad play. With an all-time bad coaching decision. The, the players did not concoct that on their own. That's a when Ramondre makes the first pitch to see if he's got something. That's the players. When Jacoby starts backtracking, to make a throw backward, that's a we were told to try to make something happen. 
that's not something you do as a head coach, because as a coach in general, if you're a really good coach, you believe to yourself that I can be a difference maker. And one of the ways you can be a difference maker is to put your team in positions to be successful. Telling your team, if you see it, take it in that kind of scenario is putting them in a position to fail and they fail. Shout out Chandler Jones, who should have never, ever been let go by New England. Here's your Christmas gift, by the way, getting a little revenge there because he should have never been let go in that Dante Hightower debate between him and Chandler Jones. Different story. This is a situation, John, where if you are the coach of a team, put your players in positions to succeed. Bill Belichick put his team in a position to fail with that instruction, and they failed. I get it, but he even acknowledged after the game, Myers did. I should have gone down. I should have gone down. And I don't think when you have a circumstance that is so unfortified and you are playing with chance that a coach would fault him for going down and going to overtime instead. I agree. I agree. So that to me is just as much on the player. I agree, but again, you're following instruction. Like the instruction is to try to make a play. And if I'm a player who thinks I can make a play, I'm going to try to make the play. Like who doesn't want to be the hero in the spot? And so if Jacoby Myers thinks he can get that ball backward to Mac Jones, now all of a sudden other things open up. So again, to me, the answer was very simple. The answer was hand the ball off to Ramondre, tell Ramondre to run loose. And when Ramondre can't run loose anymore, drop to the turf, and let's go to overtime. Now, the other part that we are not taking into account could really be this, and this is the part that I would not be shocked by if you read David Andrews' comments. David Andrews said that he didn't know exactly what, you know, he wasn't entirely sure on what the plan should have been. He said, for that answer, talk to the coach. Well, in that case, that really sounds like the plan was to not go to overtime and to try to make a play. And maybe build and trust the defense and maybe build and trust the well, offense to and score. Then after I don't the game, know. After the game, they ask him, they ask Bill Belichick, why didn't Mac Jones throw a Hail Mary there? Did you oh, hear what was, Bill Belichick's this was response good. Yeah, was? This was? He good. goes, his arm wasn't strong enough. Yeah. He's not lying. Let's just throw your whole team <laughs> under the bus. He's not lying. Yeah, but hey, Jesus. we didn't go for it because guess what? Our quarterback's just not that good. I mean, he's not lying. It's it's weird. It's it's a very these weird... are the mighty mighty New England Patriots. Yeah, it's a weird situation right now. It's a weird this situation is how there. Bill Belichick could go out. It reminds me actually of what's going on right now in in Green Bay, where they feel like there's a disconnect between Rodgers and that front office, and that has now shown itself on the field and in terms of certain play calls and plays. And boy, this was a weird call. Just whoever drew drew this up, it's a weird call. It was it's probably an Joe Judge. Oh, it was probably Joe a, Judge, the same guy that the same guy that did quarterback sneaks on third and fifteen. How long were you holding in that one? I I haven't thrown Joe, Joe Judge under the bus once on this show, but there's a first time for everything, <laughs> and it just happened. Listen, Patriots fans, I get it. Everything's a conspiracy. The league is out to get you. I know. I've, I've worked in New England. I covered the Patriots. I know. It's true. I get it. And and listen, that that coaching decision still wasn't as stupid as Pete Carroll not running the ball up against the end zone in the Super Bowl. It, it wasn't. 
ultimately, this is a regular season game. But I will always remember, I remember very niche, ridiculous crap like this. Jordan can attest, my mind is littered with useless, pointed sports information. True. I will remember this for the rest of my life. I remember that look as Chandler Jones snagged this lateral and went the other way. Patriots fans, just for once, as you count the rings on your fingers, as your poor, poor 20-year-old fans lament the fact that they've only seen a couple championships in the last few years, they will remember a play like this. But that's not where we finish with the AFC East, is it now? No, no, it's not. Um, We move to the actual team in the AFC East that has a chance to win the Super Bowl. No, that is not the New England Patriots. That is the Buffalo Bills. The Bills had a massive, and I mean massive, 32-29 to win over the Miami Dolphins. Not only does it keep them in the hunt for the number one overall seed, which they desperately need because of that home crowd, is a problem. Literally, they're a problem. Figuratively, too, but literally they were a problem on Saturday night because they were throwing snowballs at the players, creating a dangerous atmosphere, which caused a little bit of chaos on social media and a little bit of chaos over the loudspeakers where uh, the PA announcers came over and said, if you do not stop throwing snowballs, the team will be assessed a 15-yard penalty. Now, John, first off, that should have never happened and they should have been assessed a 15-yard penalty to begin with. That's a different story for a different day. My question, John, is, is it time that we stop encouraging the Bills Mafia? It's just one of those things. Again, you reap what you sow. Everyone loves to look at Bills Mafia doing 3Ds through folding tables and swanton bombs through flaming grills and everything like that. Everyone's like, ha ha, check this out, TikTok. Look at these guys being bros and slamming down natty ices and doing these crazy things good pg description there we we love bill's mafia oh by the way we're gonna plaster this all over nfl social media because haha let's go bro those fans got that dog in them oh and by the way if you throw snowballs 15 yard penalty something is not connecting it's hypocritical because the league feeds right into Bill's Mafia. Listen, rabid sports fandom, I've talked about it ad nauseum. It it is ridiculous. Can it be fun? Sure, it can be fun. But let's not be uncivil here. When you're throwing snowballs at players who are in the middle of competition, you're crossing that line because you're affecting the outcome in a very tangible way. The best way fans can contribute to a game is by getting loud. That's what Bills fans are known for in those great situations. They are very loud. And and they have the weather in their advantage. That's a huge advantage, as is for the Bills, especially against a team like Miami that doesn't see snow a whole lot. But when you cross that line, you wouldn't be able to go to a concert and throw stuff at the stage without getting ejected. Yep, This is crossing a line. I agree that it's crossing a line. Um, it's interesting because you talk about the NFL using the kind of using the the persona of the Bills Mafia and, and using it on, you know, 
pregame shows, postgame shows, whatever it is, and using it to their advantage, and then turning around and saying the 15 yard penalty. And they're right. I mean, the, hypocr- the, the hypocrisy is there. Having said that, um, if you just penalize them 15 yards, the players will get it, the fans will get it, and everybody will get it, and you move on. If you're going to, you know, reprimand a kid in the classroom, you don't like dangle chocolate in front of their face and say, see this, like you won't get this if you don't do this because they don't already don't have the chocolate. So why does it matter if you take away 15 yards and you give Miami the benefit of the doubt there? And now all of a sudden Miami's driving and now all of a sudden Miami scores and now all of a sudden Miami wins the game. Well, now you've got something there that, 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 that is tangible. And in the case of this, I just think the mistake here was very simple. The refs needed to actually do their job, which was a big storyline of the whole NFL weekend. The NFL officiating has a problem. And the problem is, John, they're inconsistent in bad ways. There's a thing about it being inconsistent in a good way. Not every call is going to be perfect, but if you're even enough, it doesn't matter. We talk about it with home plate umpires all the time. We talk about it with NBA officials all the time. If you're inconsistent in bad ways, that's when we have problems. We don't expect you to get every call right, John, but you've got to do a better job than the NFL officials are doing right now. That's my takeaway from Bill's Mafia this weekend. I, I get that, and I agree with you, but it does reflect on our sports culture, too, and in a much more macro level where we like to pick and choose these things. We like to celebrate, and it's even a bigger societal thing. Look at these riots that happened after Argentina won the World Cup and Remember in Vancouver a decade ago with the Stanley Cup, sure. we're, we're, we accept, oh, it's, it's funny when sports fans celebrate and riot to celebrate this and blah, blah, blah. But then if someone were to protest political inaction or, or something, we're like, well, wait a minute here. Because there's this guise, there's this guise of rabid sports fandom that perpetuates the norm. And we allow it. And that's fine. It's fine. But understand, you are going to look. I can't say the word, but you know what you're yeah. going to look like. You yeah, know what you you're going to look like when stuff yeah. like this happens. Yeah, you are. I, I get that. And and from the perspective, again, from that perspective, I think you're right on the money. Um That's an aspect that I, I think nobody's really willing to address just yet. Because I think we live in a in an age where all of it appeals to social media. And I think social media runs so much more of our lives than we realize. In terms of the, the takeaways that I, again, in terms of the takeaways that I had from it, my biggest takeaway of the things that I think are controllable at this moment in time, which you could say that that is something that's controllable at this moment in time, trying to change the way we act you know, as a society with all we, you know, what we hold true and whatnot. Listen. There's a reason Thanos is one of the most relatable villains that has ever been created. All right. Let's call a spade a spade. Let's call it what it is. In terms of the things that I think you could take away from the immediate future, I think the NFL has a problem with the officiating and their unwillingness to kind of make the call. And um, another example of that was the Sunday night game with the yeah. pass interference yeah. or not or lack thereof. So that's my thought. Let's keep going here. Let's go over to the ice. 
Look at that man. That's Alexander Ovechkin. Maybe the greatest goal scorer to ever walk the earth. Well, and that's exactly what it's going to boil down to because he scored goal number 800 this past week, reaching the feet with a hat trick against the Chicago Blackhawks on December 13th. That was the 29th hat trick of his career. Wayne Gretzky's at 894. It's not implausible to think that should Ovi stay healthy, that he's going to reach that number. Now, 894 is a number that I think many consider to be unreachable. It takes a tremendous amount of longevity, skill, and some luck, too, to be able mm-hmm. to reach a number like that. First off, I'll ask you, do you think he's going to get there? And two, will this be the last great sports record to fall? Oh, that second one's a great question. The first one, yeah, I think he'll get there because I think he's healthy enough, and I think he's at a, a, a peak. he's at his peak in terms of being able to score goals, and then he hasn't dipped. He hasn't dipped to the other side of that peak. Um, he still puts up points. He still puts up numbers. He still puts up goals. He's still impactful. And he still seems to be able to score at will on the power play when nobody has figured out just to get a little technical here, maybe shade his side with your diamond defense and just give a little bit of help over there and try to prevent a shot. In any case, he is a world-class goal scorer. And I think if he chooses to play at the high level for as long as he can, I think he'll get to 895. The second part of the question is so interesting because it brings into account how many records are truly great and which records can truly fall. And it brings up the idea of Jack Nicklaus's 18 majors and how we thought once upon a time that could have fallen. That doesn't look like it's fallen anytime soon. Not only is the game of golf incredibly competitive, but the guy with the best chance really isn't healthy. Uh, It's all reflective of how sports change. Sure. You bring up. Lou, yeah, Gehrig, Lou Gehrig's Iron Man streak. Mm-hmm. Nobody would have seen that fallen. And somehow, some way, Cal Ripken did it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But ain't no way anybody's ever touching anywhere close to that again. No, because it's not, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for a player to try to do it. They cost themselves money. Exactly. They cost themselves here and there endorsements. So, yeah, I, I, I will say no just because of, again, you, you kind of beat me to the point of, Sports change and things change and, you know, who could have seen Reggie Miller's mark falling as far as threes go? Well, then the NBA becomes three centric and now it falls. Um, So I will say no. But if you talk about the numbers that people felt were impossible, people felt this goal number was impossible. Could it be the last of the impossible numbers to fall? Maybe. It really may be. Let's be real. 762 is probably not fallen because of steroid-induced leverage. It's amazing to think that if the pandemic season wasn't 60 games, Albert Pujols probably could have passed Tank Aaron, which is wild wild to think about. It's wild. We'd be looking at him as probably number two, given how everything worked out. But even so, he still was a, a good two seasons probably at his rate behind Barry Bonds. When you look at single season records, I think single season records are doable for the most part across different sports because you do get great. Like, listen, single season points record for the NBA. If you have a great generational talent that comes along, which we see every 20 years or so in the NBA, someone does, then maybe it's possible that something like that happens in baseball. Maybe not the home runs, but. Could someone break the hits record? Hell yeah. Someone absolutely could. It's not implausible. It's the longevity records that I really think we are seeing the last of 
with a record like this. And you got to love it for Ovechkin because he's been such a fun player to watch who he got his Stanley cup. He's durable. He's face of the franchise. That's great for sports. Yeah, it is. Um, the longevity aspect, again, you're going to talk about like LeBron's going to, LeBron's going to be the all-time point holder, right? The all-time, you know, points leader. Um, the longevity aspect is there. I think the other thing about Ovechkin that makes this even more impactful is this is exactly what we saw this weekend with Messi. When you talk about the Messi-Ronaldo debate, the soccer fans that were always on Messi's side, loved the fact that Messi, again, is Messi the greatest defender of all time? No, but Messi would be two-way. Well, when you talk to hockey fans, and what hockey fans love about Ovechkin is Ovechkin is two-way, and Ovechkin actually doesn't get the credit for the defense that he deserves. So this is a record that not only do we feel was untouchable at one point, but it's going to be broken by a guy that everybody roots for. And, John, I don't think you can take that lightly. Because, again, I think that's what made Pujols' home run chase of 700 so important as we got down the stretch of that home run chase. And, man, what an opportunity it would have been. You know, you bring up the COVID year, what an opportunity it would have been to see him chase Hank Aaron. You know? I'm upset we missed that. I really am. Just nature of the beast. Absolutely. Uh, from, from records on the field or on the ice to records off the field. Here's your boy. That is my boy. You're right. Tell us what's going down with the controversy surrounding Steve Cohen here. Oh, you know, just big baller stuff. Just spending big money. Getting a team that can go win a championship, the New York Metropolitans. Steve Cohen, putting his money where his mouth is, said that he would do whatever it takes to win a championship at all costs. Well, the man has spent nearly half a billion dollars this year, this offseason. And... On top of that, he almost added Carlos Correa on a whim. Carlos Correa signed a massive contract with the San Francisco Giants, one that the Giants absolutely had to have. And Steve Cohen almost just said, nah, LOL, we're good. We're going to take him, and um, you guys can go figure it out. The problem, John, as you have alluded to many times on this show, is we are now dealing with an ownership, a group of owners in Major League Baseball that, let's face it, would rather not spend money if they could avoid it because that hurts their bottom dollar. So my question to you, John, is once upon a time, the owners felt that Steve Cohen was going to be good for the game. Well, how does Steve Cohen's approach to this offseason affect the rest of the league and what are going to be the long-term ramifications from what Cohen has done? He is holding everyone by the cojones over a roasted fire right now and saying, show up and show out or get out. And I think that is awesome for baseball. It is nice to have an owner. And listen, this will be the only time in which you ever see John Alba openly giving praise to a multi-billionaire for how they go about it. Yeah, that's not on brand for you. (laughs) This is not. Ready? (laughs) No, it is not. Here is a man that likes to spend his money to improve the value of the entertainment product that he has purchased for the benefit of all the fans watching, and obviously his bottom line as well, but he's also enriching the players that 
work for him. Now, will parking be $80 at City Field this year? It's possible. Who's to say? We'll see when April rolls around, I guess. But this is showing the league, a league that imposed a luxury tax to prevent people like Steve Cohen from doing from what they're doing here. This shows the league that it is okay to invest in your future. And it is okay to use your money at will to improve your product. That is ultimately what every business owner should be doing. Invest in your product so you're giving your consumer the most value and your workers also benefit from that. This is what capitalism should be at the end of the day. And for any of these owners, like the Boston Red Sox who won a World Series and then were like, all right, let's be the Rays now. Let's be super cheap. This is a free market. That's what they all want, right? You want a free market. Well, if you want a free market, you have to be willing to meet the stakes. And if you're not willing to, get out. Get out. It's bad for the game for you to stick around. Yep. I'm all in on Steve Cohen. I like it. I like it. I've never said, I don't think I ever saw it would see the day that you defended a billionaire. And I think, I think it's great that he's on Twitter. He's like, you know, we should probably go get Correa. Like he just, yeah, let's go do it. Why not? not? (laughs) Man, embrace that role. I agree. I think the problem is the owners won't. Well, he's not part of the good old boys club. And I think what they're going to do is they're going to make that luxury tax even, even bigger and even harsher. And they might even make a plateau that you can't go over. A fake hard cap, but really a hard cap. Or they might talk to him separately and say, hey, listen, man, uh, love what you're doing for the game. Uh, Tony's spending down a little bit. Now, listen, the outlier that we haven't discussed here is Steve Cohen is significantly richer than most of these other Yes. And, and that is worth mentioning. But, but if you are rich enough to own a franchise you can afford to invest in it otherwise you don't buy a franchise (laughs) you know what you do instead you buy those two thousand dollar a game seats right behind home plate or you buy that ten thousand dollar per game luxury box and you enjoy the game at your will yep if you don't want to invest if you do and you want to own that franchise, you want to get that World Series ring, whatever it may be, you have to be willing to meet the demands of the market. I agree. You I agree. I it agree. is amazing to me that we have come in two years. I'm happy we have. From two years ago where it was like, I don't know if we can afford to give you a two-year, $30 million contract to you want 13 years, $400 million? You got it. But that's good for everyone. And I know there's going to be people who say, oh, well, eight years from now, we're going to revisit this. We're going to be like, man, the offseason of 2022, 2023 changed the game forever. Maybe it did. But if we're going to move forward with no cap and this is going to be promoting a free market, you reap what you sow. How many times have I said that on the show here? That is your line. That is the the tagline of the episode. That is sports. That is Tagline of the episode. And and so many people, so many people in sports like to make excuses 
for the consequences of their actions. There's a much more vulgar term for this that I've, a vulgar phrase, I should say, that I've used in speaking to you that I cannot say here on, yes. on this, but it is essentially mess around and find out. Yes. Well, that's what happens here. I'm all in on Papa Cohen. I do hope he changes the game. I really do. I really do hope it gets to be, you know, owner spending. Uh, you can't have a team in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, refusing to spend money on its product. Like you just can't. I, I just don't think that's right. Um, are is there is it going to cause teams like Tampa Bay and Kansas City and you know are they going to have to find different ways? Sure, but you know what? They already find different ways. And in the case of Tampa Bay, they're pretty good at it. So. I, I think that, you know, I think this is good for the game. I think it's good for the growth of the game. And I think when it comes to sports in general, and this goes back to the opening toast that I made, and I made it from a selfish point of view, but in reality, it's true. Sports are usually better when the New York market is in it. It's just the truth. It's why a lot of t- people that are not in the New York market hate the New York market. Because those teams take up a lot of airtime. The reason they take up a lot of airtime is they move media. And the Mets being good is going to move media. Just like the Yankees being good is going to move media. We want to hear your thoughts. Send us your super chat right now on YouTube or KYNchat.com. Get involved in the conversation. We enjoy that here on Out of Bounds. We got two more topics for you. We were talking about bad referees earlier in the show. Oh, that was at least questionable refereeing on display in the NBA earlier this week. It was just before halftime Saturday. The Grizzlies were playing the Oklahoma City Thunder. John Morant, one of the most exciting players in the league. He was ejected after making remarks to courtside Memphis fans that were derogatory about the officiating. Morant was ejected with 43 seconds left in the half. And as he was called for a second technical foul, he picked up the first technical 11 seconds earlier after committing a foul to stop play. And he was complaining about a no call on a drive to the basket. Now, according to a pool report, crew chief John Gobble said that Moran was assessed his first technical for use of profanity directed at an official and that the second technical was for making a comment questioning the integrity of an official. This is a thunder and Grizzlies game. (laughs) Is this kind of officiating detrimental to the league when stars are being kicked out of the games at that pace, Jordan? Because, listen, let's be honest here. The thunder of the home team here. Yep. Half of those fans are buying the ticket to see John Moran play. At least. He gets kicked out of the game for complaining about officiating before halftime even happens. Before yep. those fans can even go get that second beer, John Morant's gone. And it's a 20-point game, by the way, at this point. Yep. Is, is this detrimental to the league? Because this is not the first time something like this has happened. The NBA has always had an issue where the stars are bigger than the team. Is and- it an issue? Well, that's a good question. Is this an issue? The because, answer, like we just said, half those fans bought tickets to see John Morant. The answer that you would like to say is no. And it's the thing that the NBA has built itself on. It's the thing they've built themselves on ever since David Stern stumbled upon the idea of having Magic Bird versus Larry Johnson. Over, <laughs> Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird. Stumbling your words. It's okay. We're moving on. Um, the problem with that is when you get to a situation like this where the officials might have felt that that second tech was deserved, they're going to kick out a guy that people paid to see, and that's the problem. 
the problem that I have with the NBA officiating is not their first tech. It's how quick they give the second one. And I think this is a problem that the league has. The league is built on stars, as you've mentioned, and it is their formula. It's why they're successful. But if you're built on stars and you're not built on the team, John, then you have to understand that you've got to be lenient with giving the second technical. Now, some guys don't deserve the leniency looking at you, Draymond Green. But some guys do deserve some leniency. In the case of John Morant, who does not yet have a reputation with officials of being somebody that officials go at and John Morant goes at, and maybe he's not worthy of certain calls. Again, guys earn that reputation. A guy like Carmelo earned that reputation because he was very quick with the refs. A guy like Draymond Green earned that reputation because he was very quick with the refs. If you no, for all intents and purposes, John Morant is a good representative of the game. Absolutely. But if you've earned the reputation, then it's on you. And again, that's going to hurt. But it's also a tough thing to cry, John. It's tough to cry superstars when superstars will turn around on a Friday night and say, you know what, I don't really want to play against the Oklahoma City Thunder because my team's going to the playoffs. And for that, I'm looking at LeBron James, who has done that a lot in his career. And Yeah, but guess what? The officials aren't making that second technical call against LeBron James, are they? No, they're not, but... If they felt the tech was worthy, now oh, all come of a on. Sudden, LeBron ain't getting that second tech. I agree. LeBron's <laughs> not getting the second tech. And listen, John Moran probably shouldn't have gotten the second tech. No, either. that's my point. He should have. Listen, this is. And I am not the type of guy to always blame officiating. Sports fans are very quick to blame officiating for everything. I'm not that kind of guy. No, but, I, I lean on the other side, actually. But you have to understand that this is a guy who doesn't have that reputation that you were talking about. He's a great representative for the sport. The fans came to see him play. And by kicking him out, you're giving no one incentive to keep watching and to stick around. And you have to remember those things. Nothing he did was egregious. He was, he was jawing off. Yeah. That's what he was doing. I mean, that's, that's, that's sports, man. That's sports. And and he was interacting with fans. Yeah. You know, I don't think he was doing anything. He didn't get in the ref's face and point at them and cut a promo on them. He just. Yeah, no, I I don't think he did that. Um, Again, what I question is maybe is John Morant starting to develop that reputation around the league. And that reputation around the league really does impact your calls. And it really does impact how quick they are with the quick trigger ejection and things like that. Carmelo used to get banged around the, you know, the, the basket all the time, and he used to never get calls. And the reason he never got calls was because a lot of times early in his career, he'd be jawing off the refs. And the refs aren't going to give you calls if you know those borderline calls. You ain't going to get them if you continue to jaw off the refs. Maybe that's the answer behind why John Morant got the quick ejection. Either way, when you build a league on stars, you've got to be lenient when it comes to that ejection on your stars. Because that's the league you've built. Well, let's wrap up here, Jordan, with a guy who could potentially be a rising star here in the NBA. Yeah, it's so interesting that Bull Bull was once upon a time casted as somebody who had a lot of skills, but maybe was never going to be an NBA fit. And now all of a sudden, he's come into his own, and the Orlando Magic are a good, fun, young basketball team that have also come into their own. They have won six in a row. And again, Bull Bull who at one point in time didn't really look like much. Um, he, he was struggling. He didn't find a way to earn minutes. Now all of a sudden, 
He's averaging 12 and a half points per game, and he's averaging double the minutes he got. And all of a sudden, he's making this big impact, and you're seeing him have highlights every night, and you're seeing him be able to take the ball up the floor at seven foot two and do things that really (laughs) remind you, John. I'm not going to use this term lightly, but it reminds you of Kevin Durant. Yeah, I mean, he looks like a gazelle. He looks like a gazelle. It's awesome. Here's my question. How does Bull Bull's emergence impact your view of the way we should view up-and-coming young players and how to develop them? I think it shows the importance of finding that good fit, right? Finding a coaching staff that is really willing to work with a player and identify the positives and and accentuate those positives and hide the weaknesses. Not every team is willing to give a player that, length to work with that and to the magic's credit as as someone who covered the orlando magic perhaps sometimes they're almost too generous with that we see it with jonathan isaac and markel fultz jonathan isaac hasn't played in over two years and they're still willing to throw that guy back out there soon markel fultz they were willing to take a chance on him and you know markel fultz is developing into a decent nba player at the end of the day is he ever going to be number one overall pick caliber no but he's a solid nba point guard Sure. Uh, what, what's going on with Bull Bull, it's remarkable. He's about to surpass the most games he's ever played in, in, in a single season, which is remarkable in and of itself. Mm-hmm. His first few seasons, he was averaging just over two points a game. He's like you said, he's at around 12 and a half right now. And he's showing versatility where he's able to drive. He's able to dish. He's able to shoot. And I think now you're seeing something emerge where all of a sudden – you've seen your patience pay off with this young player and your team becomes multifaceted and leverages that into a winning streak. I think that player development is something that a lot of franchises overlook the importance of. And to the Magic's credit, they've they've done it right here with Bull Bull so far. And I don't think this is a fluke. I think this is a guy who's going to potentially be in the conversation for comeback player of the year. I'm not going to say a lot of franchises overlook it. I'm going to say a lot of franchises do it. But they don't do it well. That's the thing. They don't do it correctly. Let's go to football for a second because there was some news a couple hours before that we started doing this that Anthony Richardson, who is most likely going to go to the draft and, again, comes from an area you covered in Florida, is going to go to the draft. And Tom McShay has decided that Anthony Richardson is better off staying in school because despite his amazing traits, he's not NFL ready. Here's a wild thought. Don't play him. Just sit him on the bench for two years. Let him work on his mechanics. Let him work on reading a defense and then play him. Here's a wild concept for a team that drafts a guy first overall in the NBA that doesn't necessarily have a great team around him. I don't know. Put a team around him, put a bunch of vets around him and let him learn how to be in a locker room and let him learn how to do certain things instead of asking the 18-year-old, here you go, here's the keys to the franchise. Go run it by yourself having not been a professional athlete. Here's $40 million in your back pocket. No, that's not what happened to Bull Bull. No, it's not what happened to Bull Bull, but it is what happens to a lot of the young athletes in the game today. And they're they're not put in a position to succeed. If your line for the episode is talking about you report yourself. My line for the episode is put your players in a position to be successful. 
Bol Bol is in a position to be successful right now. He's running a lot with that second unit. The ball's in his hands where he should be because he's not a big, despite being seven foot two. He's not a big. He's more of a swing man. He's more of a guy that whose game resembles that Kevin Durant. Let him be a play creator, and that's what he's doing. And Orlando's doing a great job, John, of putting their players, not just Bol Bol, but a guy like Ben Caro, who's running that first, really running that first unit, kind of being a point forward, and then using scorers off of that, like Cole Anthony and Markel Fultz are not true point guards. They're score guards. Well, they're in a role of being the score guard, and that's why Orlando's being successful. But more than that and anything else, they are also feeding into this super fun narrative. Bull Bull is the type of guy you love to love. It's the son of Minute Bull, the tallest player of all time. He's lanky. There's nothing particularly all that impressive about him other than he's super tall. And he's got the great name. And that's so great for the league because that's something we can fall in love with and say, look at this guy. He's 7'2", and he's hitting these crossovers on guys, making them look silly. Sure. And that's your patience paying off. You reap what you sow in a good way. That's and right. that's that's ultimately, I think, great for the game. This is good stuff here, Jordan. We're wrapping up this edition of Out of Bounds. Yes, sir. Uh, anything else you'd like to add here? Happy holidays, everybody. Yep. It's it's a it's that time of year. Uh, just remember remember your family, remember your loved ones. Make sure you reach out, whoever you deem your family. Make sure you reach out. Make sure you thank them. Don't sweat the petty things and don't pet the sweaty things. That's my holiday advice to you. Another episode of Out of Bounds is in the books. We'll see you next time right here on Know Your News. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I click the subscribe button. You really should, too. If you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.